1: It's so simple. Step one, we Google the biggest flops on Broadway. Step two, we find the crazy stories behind them. Step three, we see how they lose millions of dollars. Millions? Broadway isn't cheap, A lot of fancy people want to be producers. Step four, find out why the show won't go on. Step five, end this episode and head to Times Square. Times
2: Square, that'll never work. Only Broadway successes are in Times Square. (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
1: Oh, ye of little faith. Oh, it's part two. Yes, it's part two. I edited all of part one today and now I'm really tired. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well and I still like... have some to do. And then I will actually post that tonight live, like live the same night that I we're actually talking to you right now. Mm-hmm. So you're not going to hear this until next week. But anyway, <laughs> so... <laughs> A day. We told you all. Happy Martin was, Luther King Day. Yeah. Good R-E-S-A. day.
2: Also, it's the one-year anniversary we did that concert. Yes. <laughs> yes.
1: I was yes. actually. I, I've been Marie kondo my apartment <laughs> because although someone read me the like or told me the premise of the book,
0: mm-hmm. it's
1: the if you haven't seen the Netflix docu-series about Marie Kondo, the the tidy woman, the woman that's tidy. Mm-hmm. She has a book that's like the art of tidying or the art of, I don't even remember yeah. what the name of the book is. I but think it is the art of tidying. Something up. like that. Yeah. If that's not what it is, then it's mm-hmm. something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and someone was telling me about this Close to a year ago, if not more than that, and they were like, "You pick, you put everything in a pile, and then you pick one piece at a time, and you, if if it sparks joy, you keep it, and if not, you say thank you and and discard it." And I was like, "Okay, I am, I am not some hippy dippy weirdo that says thank you to my clothes." Like it it was just so weird to Mm -hmm. me the idea of it all, and also the idea that you would put everything like in that category. So every piece of clothing, you go around your house and find every piece of clothing and put it all in one pile and then do that whole thing. And it was, it just seemed so overwhelming. So I didn't even think about it. And then I saw the docu-series on Netflix and I finally kind of understood Mm -hmm. what she was trying Mm -hmm. to convey through the book and it made sense. And although it's still incredibly overwhelming, it's, it's like, in my mind now as as a process that's doable so i'm in that process now which if you look around my apartment ebony can attest to this like some pieces look real some parts of it look better and then some (laughs) are like just inundated with stuff and some i mean a lot of that stuff will go like all Mm -hmm. of these boxes of books and there's a big you know pile of garbage bags full of clothes for donations and like all of that stuff will go at some point Mm -hmm. but in the meantime i just feel like i'm in the eye of the storm not even the eye. I'm in the storm. I'm in the midst of the storm. There is no eye. <laughs> Anywho, <laughs> <laughs>
2: I need to do that. That book.
1: Yeah, in my room. It's good. I like it. Yeah, I like it. I was getting a little out of control, and so my life felt a little out of control. Mm. They say and for a girl about that works seven, yeah. Well, it's because tidying. Yeah. To me is organization right so i think that that's the terminology is is just i mean it's you know right. one one person's organization is another person's tidy i think that she just uses the word tidying because she says tidying is different than cleaning
2: mm-hmm.
1: cleaning is purifying and she said tidying what did she say oh it's in the book and I'll, of course i can't remember it right now but it made so much sense she's like you know if you have a tidy house then it's easier to clean If you have a clean house that's not tidy, it never feels clean. Mm -hmm. And I was like, yeah, that's right. That's exactly how I feel. (laughs) So, anywho, I'm in the process of doing that. And also, like, today I had the day off, so I had a list of things that Mm -hmm. the dogs needed to go to and get their vaccination, so I had to take them to the vet. And it is so cold. It's really
2: cold. It's like
1: negative 15, and that is not an exaggeration. That is what it feels like, negative 15 here in New York. Uh, and then, like, you know, I had to do some laundry and I had to, you know, like, and I was working on the Marie Kondo system and all of that stuff. But in the midst of that, I also needed to edit the podcast that I'm going to be downloading on Martin Luther King night mm-hmm. to d- tonight. Uh, <laughs> and it's just a lot. So my brain is a little frazzled. I'm going to let you do most of the work. Okay. <laughs> um, Here, let me lean back. <laughs> nice and comfy absolutely um we
2: you so you guys um have listened to the other episode the things we didn't really cover or get to is we covered a little bit of the cast um Mm -hmm. but we didn't really cover we covered the cast injuries oh yeah um but we didn't really cover all of the changes that happened in the cast so many changes yeah yeah
1: (laughs) This, I mean, still, I have trouble wrapping my mind around everything that happened in that seven-year time span. Yeah,
2: yeah. And I'm sure, like, most shows have um, a
1: lot of of
2: changes, but this was, like,
1: I think... This uh, wasn't just casting changes, though. This was casting changes and also script changes and also venue (laughs) changes and also, like, it was just really... It's so much. If
2: you read Glenn Berger's book, Song of Spider-Man, it really, you know, he does say they feel like um, there's some sort of like bad energy around mm. the show. And um, I would definitely say that, like, <laughs> with all the problems they had, there was. Yes. There, there was a higher power maybe saying,
1: stop, don't mm-hmm. do it. Like it's not time. Maybe at any point they could have turned back and yeah. it would have been a better decision. Yeah. I also just want to say before we start this again the book Song of Spider-Man is a really good book. It's a so well, it's mm. pretty quick. It yeah. went quick for me. I read it in a couple of days, but it wasn't like I could read it straight through. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's very good at explaining from one part to the next what exactly is happening but he's also i mean he's switching from the beginning of the story to the end of the story and then he's phasing in and out but it still all makes really good sense he's a very good writer that mm-hmm. way really so it's definitely worth reading i got it on my kindle for it was expensive you couldn't I find read, it I for remember. cheap but i think i bought it on my kindle for like 12.
2: oh that's not bad
1: well when you're used to, like, downloading them for, like, 99 cents. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> so it was expensive. But for the for the research, obviously, yeah. it was worth it. Because yeah. it is a really interesting read. Yeah, it was and so, I'm,
2: such a fun read. Yeah,
1: and I mentioned in part one, too, that my friend Brandon, who was in the cast really confirms that the book is pretty spot on. Mm-hmm. He said there are some minor things that have been a little tweaked or possibly just remembered the way that Glenn remembered them and not necessarily the way they were true to life, mm-hmm. which happens to all of us, which is why you can never trust uh, an eyewitness in a criminal case. <laughs> but anywho, <laughs> that's a different story. But he said that it's pretty close. It's pretty close to what happened.
2: Cool. Yeah. And Glenn had said he he journaled. Mm. So that's how it... Um,
1: he was able to remember yeah. so much. Yeah. Smart. Yeah.
2: All right. So uh, casting changes. <laughs> okay. So in the workshop um, that they did, that, again, if you watch the Leslie Stahl 60 Minutes um, interview, she, she is at uh, that workshop. And that workshop was about... A year and a half to two years, I believe, before the production um, began its extremely long preview process (laughs) uh, on Broadway. Um, And so it was sort of like the first time everyone was really hearing the music. Bono got up on stage and uh, did one of the songs. And at that time, um, Jim Sturgis from Love Him, (laughs) from uh, Across the Universe, um, was was playing Peter Parker, and then uh, Mary Jane was played by Evan Rachel Wood.
1: Both who were in Across the Universe, right. which Julie had just finished before starting this project. Right.
2: And the reviews from Across the Universe, the way that Glenn positions them, it really does feel like it, it was sort of an omen mm. of what was to come. She had two movies that came out during the, this the time that Spider-Man was coming out, and neither one were what reviewed was the terribly one? well. The Tempest.
1: That's right. The
2: Tempest with Helen Mirren um, and Russell Brand,
1: mm-hmm.
2: which I felt like was brilliant casting.
1: I do, too. Like, I saw
2: it, and I actually really
1: like it. Um, well, and Helen I, Mirren is a miracle. Right. But Russell Brand I really like. Yeah. And for a show like The Tempest... He's kind of perfect. Yeah, and
2: I felt like he was really cast well in yeah. the part. And so it was... Um, I, I just thought it was it was creative um,
1: casting yeah. on her part. It was really great. She is really a genius at creative casting. Yeah,
2: she is. She is. So uh, those two were playing uh, Peter Parker, Smy- Spider-Man, and Mary Jane, and then... Um, the Green Goblin was Alan Cumming. <laughs> that, that would have been so brilliant. Yeah, yeah.
1: That, I think, when I first heard that, when all of this was just conjecture, yeah. that was the thing I was most excited about. Right.
2: Watching Alan Cumming be the Green Goblin is mean, really a, a great part for It
1: him. would have been amazing. Yeah.
2: So what eventually happened uh, was with the financial difficulties where they were trying to renovate the Hilton... Um, and Hello Entertainment ran out of funding Mm -hmm. and then became Goodbye Entertainment. (laughs) In that whole long, um, about, um, I believe it was eight months to a year process, um, Jim Jim Sturgis and Evan, Rachel Wood, kept saying that they were still in, they were still in, they were still in, but everybody was hearing rumors that they were taking on other projects. And eventually... um, Jim was like, "Yeah, I really do have to bow out." He got another like lead role in a film, and he was, you you know, if this is your bread and butter, mm-hmm. you can't be saying no to a whole lot of work,
1: right? Because especially when you are popular yeah, right now, You've you
2: just got popular. You just things are just beginning to pop off. You've got
1: to keep that momentum. You moving. really do. And sitting standby for a show that could or could not go on to Broadway is not the way to do it. It's not. Unfortunately. So um, he, he was the first one to bow out
2: and then Evan Rachel Wood was still in it. She even went as far as to um, uh, have her PR team and she herself, you know, wrote a note stating that like, no, she's still in as Mary Jane and then that process just began to take it just continued to be mm-hmm. prolonged
1: for it more it, months. It wasn't necessarily either the the time constriction though either it was it was the fact that people outside of the production now were putting the confidence of the production Uh, To task, right? They were saying, "Is this really going to be happening?" (laughs) Yeah. Well, basically, yeah, really. But a lot of people were talking about it, like, "What's really happening?" You don't have the money to do it. You're never going to get the money to do it. So Mm -hmm. it's never going to happen. And if it does, it's never going to be as good, you know. Like, so there was always like this kind of gossip happening around the edges, which is also never good for for a performer, especially if you are the lead performer in this very. Um, critical, yeah. High profile, high profile, yeah. Yes, yeah. Show, yeah. Pamela's absolutely
2: right. That was also a huge factor, um, and yeah. Michael Riedel's New York Post articles were sort of it, when you read the book. <laughs> his articles are their arch nemesis. Yeah, <laughs> like really. Yeah. Um, and Every time they would get some good news, then yeah, Michael Riedel, Riedel would, would come put, out with yeah. another something bad and then it would put everything like then they'd be like oh you know then it would be like this battle to fight the the bad press yeah so it's really I really recommend going on YouTube and watching the theater talk with Glenn Berger because Michael riedel is one of the hosts of Theater Talk <laughs> and it's like um it it doesn't feel too terribly awkward to me mm. um Oh, but, that's good. I didn't watch it. But, but I will. uh I, my favorite part of part one. Is at the end when Michael Riedel reads. It's like watching um, mean tweets on Jimmy <laughs> Fallon Tonight Show, and it's Michael Riedel reading like this one paragraph that Glenn wrote about him and like what <laughs> kind of person he is. And it it's so it was my favorite part. Like I would watch that. It was so like well, Michael then Glenn was so can well turn done.
1: around and just read one of Michael Riedel's reviews. Right, right, Non review right. reviews. Right.
2: So it was so good. Oh,
1: amazing. Um,
2: um yeah, so so then eventually Evan Rachel would, um they also released her from her contract. Mm-hmm. Then uh before Evan Rachel's contract she was released from her contract, Alan Cumming got a part on a little show called The Good Wife. <laughs> and at the time nobody knew it was gonna be the hit that we all know mm-hmm. it was. Um and so He was still like, you know, he was still willing to play the Green Goblin. In his contract, he had negotiated um, some sort of, what do they
1: call it? Um, Like, it was like a fee to hold him. Oh, a writer. Oh, um, oh, poo, I know the word and it's right there on the tip of my tongue and I can't think of it, but yes. So there's this really funny through line through the book where like, (laughs)
2: Glenn Berger's making no money. He's living hand to mouth. Mm -hmm. But they're all like working
1: consistently every single day, every minute of the day, trying to get the script out.
2: And then also like working for Sesame Street and doing all of the other work that he did because he had like Emmys and stuff before he got this. Like this is not right.
0: You know, as much as stuff
2: under his belt. Right. But but then also everybody was telling, you know, when the bad press would come out, They would belittle him like he's new. He doesn't know what he's doing. And he's like, he had like, like multiple Emmys. Mm -hmm. (laughs) He was not. And then his, um, his play was like very well reviewed and was doing really well. So he was not right. Like he was not unknown, but um, he had just bought a house with his wife and children upstate. And so that's what had put him in a financial, like... <laughs> he co- was what we pre- call house poor. Right. <laughs> house poor. So um, so the funny part is, though, that they, he jokes, Alan Cumming made the most money off of this <laughs> show because he was really smart mm-hmm. about making
1: sure that, like... said if you want me to, to remain in this contract right. and stay in your show, you've got to pay me in order to do that. Right. And then if you pay me, then you're, I'm yours. Right. Which is, it is very smart, especially for a show like this. Because, you know, looking at it, it's backed by too many very high profile people Mm -hmm. to not go the final length to Broadway. Right. But there's still all of this time where they have to renovate the theater and where they have to finish the script. And they, you know, there's so many, there's so many opportunities over that long length of time for things to change. And so he was very smart and said, I, I really want this part, but if you want me for it, I need to have an assurance that I'm not going to waste eight months and then have nothing to show for it. Yeah. But also turn down other work while waiting. And that's a big one. Yeah, And that's is. actually happened with something just recently on Broadway. And I'm going to have to look it up. Okay. Because a lot of people... No, maybe not on Broadway. It was like a regional... St- oh, never mind. It was someone posted on Facebook uh, in the Actors' Equity group that they auditioned for a show... Uh, were cast. They're an equity member. They were cast in the show. And so they had been turning down auditions and also turning down work because they had this thing that they hadn't signed a contract for yet. And then at the, the 11th hour, the theater called and said, you know what, we've decided to go all non-equity. So we're releasing you from your no! obligation. But then it's like, do I have any recourse? Because I didn't have an actual signed contract. So messed up. So messed up. So yeah. Anyway, that's what I was just thinking. But like that, you can really get into a pickle that way.
2: Well, and that's what happened with this show. Mm-hmm. Because if you remember back, uh, since we, oh, let me finish Alan,
1: and then oh I'll yes, jump I'm to sorry.
2: <laughs> but like that, that's mm-hmm. like the perfect segue. <laughs> so what eventually happened with Alan, with the Good Wife, is they did release him from his contract. And then that's when they cast Patrick Page, Mm -hmm. sorry, as the Green Goblin. Yes. Um, After Jim Sturgis left, they found Reeve Carney Mm -hmm. and he replaced him as Peter Parker. And then uh, Mary Jane was eventually um, cast. uh, They filled it with Jennifer uh, Damiano, who like she was like the first time they saw her, she was not even of age. She was like 16. (laughs) so. So like, she had just done next to normal. Right. So she, by the time this happened, she was about 17. Mm-hmm. And when they first were reading and singing together, everyone felt like they looked really good together. But mm-hmm. then once they got into previews, they kept complaining about how terrible the chemistry was.
1: That they were just kind of very stagnant with each other. There wasn't yes. any kind of chemistry. Yeah. That's kind of unfortunate. Yeah, but it really was is. also really awkward the way they were talking about it ugh, in the <laughs> book. Yeah, Because at one point they were saying that... Um, Maybe Julie and the who is the choreographer? I can't remember his name right now. Um, sorry. That's okay. Choreography Uh, with an E, maybe. Daniel Ezralo. Ezralo. That's where the E was. Mm-hmm. I knew there was an E in it. Mm-hmm. So Danny Ezrillo and Julie Tamor were talking about what they could do mm-hmm. to like boost up the chemistry. And Danny was like, you know, they just need to, they just need to F. They just need to do it and yeah, get it over it's with. Not good. And it was like, you guys. Mm-hmm. And especially like now in the, in the movement of me too, yeah. <laughs> you're like, Oh, I'm reading this and this is horrible, this is not, idea. this is not how we talk about people. This is, shouldn't be how we talk about people, but that happens all the time in theater, unfortunately. Well,
2: all, all the, all the, um, performing arts.
1: It's not great. Yeah, it's not. Uh, um, so, okay. So. Um, but also, and well, I'm sorry, just no, 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 to no, no, touch on it. that, because the chemistry thing, when you feel uncomfortable, when you feel like you're not confident in the production that you're in. Right. And that's what I thought. I was like, that's actually the
2: problem. Yeah. all Is that like, they're not feeling comp. Yeah. It's just like with children, how they have to feel like they're in a safe space. Yeah. Like they've got a firm
1: foundation to stand on.
2: But it's the same with actors. Like you you have to, it is your job as producer, director, choreographer to make them feel like they are in a safe space Mm -hmm. where they can explore, where they can really get into their parts. Because if you don't create that kind of warm space... Then that's what you're gonna get. They're two yeah. awkward actors yep. because they don't have a safe space Cause they to don't f- They don't want to
1: feel vulnerable no, around you. You can't do you, no. Because they probably feel vulnerable enough. Right. They f- yeah. Just based on the production itself and how not well it's going. Mm-hmm.
2: So I mean that I thought about that the whole time we were. I was reading that. I was like, this is mm-hmm. why there's yeah. no chemistry, yeah. y'all. This is why. Hmm. Um. Okay, so then, creative team, we, we uh, in the last episode, told you about how Julie was let go. Yes. Uh, and so, speaking of contracts, back to uh, Pamela's point from a few minutes ago, one of the big issues was that, if you remember back when Tony passed away, mm. he literally had the contracts in hand for The Edge to sign his. Well, after he died... <laughs> no one had actually signed their contracts. Mm-hmm. So there there's sort of like a um, not a, a real contract, but like something that's like an in, in lieu of or whatever mm-hmm. that you have at the beginning, just to get people to kind of sign on and start rolling um, and start writing and things. So Julie had one of those. And so when she was like, go, <laughs> she sued Glenn And the producers, um, and there was a real threat that she could take all of Glenn's work as well because Mm -hmm. he didn't have a real contract. Right. It's really shocking to me to read that when you think about all the blood, sweat, and tears they all went through, Mm -hmm. and like nobody thought, (laughs) like how did nobody think, oh, I should probably have a contract. But then also Glenn was nervous because of how terribly the production was going. So the one of the producers would keep asking him. Um, I remember which one it was. It was uh, it was Jeremiah, I believe. Is that right.
1: I no, it was you. Michael. Oh.
2: <laughs> it was Michael. Sorry, it was Michael. Michael Cole kept asking him, have you signed your contract oh, yet? Yes, have you signed right. your contract yet? And Glenn was just nervous because of the way that things were going. But, like, in the end, it really came to kind of bite him a little bit mm-hmm. in the butt. Because, yep. like, when she went ahead and and she um, she she sued them, like, she could have taken all his work. Yeah. She, she could have done it. They, thankfully, were, were able to do a settlement. So that didn't happen. But, you know, that's why, like, you just... Yep. You just can't... You can't be lazy about... You know,
1: the law. Yeah. Well, (laughs) and it's... Because it's so... As an actor, you... There's this kind of weird... You know, there's someone in line behind me to take over my track if, right. I, if, if they don't like me, or if I do something wrong, or mm-hmm. if I do something that they didn't like, or whatever. There's always kind of this feeling that you're on tinterhooks, that you just, you're just never secure. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes it's actually easy to fall into the trap of not signing a contract mm-hmm. and working anyway, because you don't want to rock the boat. Mm-hmm. However, mm-hmm. if you don't sign your contract... They can let you go at any moment. But if I sign a contract, I am protected. Right. And that's what it's there for. So we should not be bullied into not signing our contracts because we feel like something might go amiss. Mm-hmm. Or, but it's like but we all kind of fall into that trap at some point.
2: That's true. In any
1: business, really. Right,
2: right. That's, that's really true.
1: There's risk on both sides. Mm -hmm. I think that's kind of important to remember too when you're signing a contract. Mm -hmm. The risk isn't all on me with signing a contract. The risk is also on them because if I'm not able to perform the way they want me to, we're both stuck in that contract Mm -hmm. until they've either paid me out or we've worked through whatever issue it is. But that also is there to protect me from being bullied by or being undermined Mm -hmm. by the people that the contract is from. Right. Wait. And that concludes Contracts 101. <laughs> Pamela's Law Corner. If
2: you need help with any type of entertainment <laughs> law where it pertains to theater, please call Pamela at 555. <laughs> <laughs>
1: it's true. I'll be there. I'll be there to talk you through. Okay, find that line that says signature. Okay, on that line, I want you to put your pen down on the paper. <laughs> Oh gosh
2: (laughs) So um, Okay so with that What ended up happening Okay so they have Fired Julie Mm -hmm. And They were talking to um, So first they started talking to Philip William McKinley And He was known for uh, Directing like Cirque du Soleil Ringling Brothers and Barnum and Bailey Circus Which Which Really, it's sort of apropos to this spectacle known yes. as Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark. Um, and so they were talking to him first. And then he had, you know, there was like a long silence sort of that he wasn't really sure if he wanted to do it. Um, and then they spoke to another um, director whose name I didn't write down. Sorry, guys. Again, you can read the book. Um, but they literally were. And also if you, again, if you watch the theater talk episode, they do show him. So there was like a split second where they were talking to another director Mm -hmm. and this gentleman. um, So what happened was they met with him. He was all gung ho. They were about to sign a contract. And then at 12 o'clock midnight, he got cold feet and bowed out. Mm -hmm. So then they called up Philip and were like, Basically, they were desperate because they were between a rock and a hard place, right. and had no director. And they would have no show without ador- without a director. So, uh, thankfully, Philip came on, and he really finished the show. He got it to open, uh, and and it was it stayed on Broadway for about two years. Um, opening night was a little bit of an issue. So, <laughs> opening night comes a good like year after they a year of previews. Really, you guys, are show's nuts.
1: <laughs> and, um, am I, you know, I'm correct in re- in remembering that the previews were a year and then it was two years of performances, yes. right? Yes, that's So right. the whole thing was, I, I mind, it's mind boggling it how really long is. that was. But yeah, so full three years, they still didn't recoup. No, no. <laughs> Which, because if you're looking, I mean, like, when we first started this podcast, yeah. our criteria for finding shows were shows that were like, less than 30 performances yeah. or, you know, so, you know, shows that had, you know, whatever the whatever the amount of performances it was, right. this is what we were looking for. And so if you look at Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark just on the performance basis, you're like, yeah, that's a success. Not at all. However, no, it's not, not. when you're
2: the most expensive show in the history of Broadway.
1: If you, and that's that's what I mean, investing is a gamble. Right. But the point of investing in anything, in houses, in the stock market, is to put as little in and get the most out. Right. And in this case... They it put ju- the most they in just kept and throwing got the in, least out. <laughs> Thinking, well, yeah. of course, it's a success. Of course it's going to work. It's Spider-Man. So yeah. we can just keep throwing money at it and we'll definitely get it back. And this is just not... This was not how it worked out.
2: Not at all.
1: Not at all. So... Um,
2: so, once they get to opening night, um, Glenn called Julie, even after the lawsuit. Um, Bono and The Edge, they also called Julie, and they all wanted her to be there. Um, because she had put her blood, sweat, mm-hmm. and tears this into This was her the baby. Show. It really was. And... Um, so, uh, Michael was also going to call her. But about a couple of days before he had like planned to, to give her a call. Um, she, uh, there was, I believe there was either an article or some, something law wise that happened. Now I'm blanking. It just like pissed him off (laughs) and pushed him over the edge. And then he was like, he absolutely didn't want her there. Mm -hmm. He didn't want her there to the extent that like, um, the, the, her, uh, one, one of the assistants who was working on the show had tickets, um, and had put, had put their, their name and like a plus one in there so that she could cu- so that she could go. Mm-hmm. Well, he found out and took the extra ticket, right? Then, um, she still got in but she got in because like somebody else in the crew had another ticket and they were like Julie has to be there mm-hmm. and so that was he they didn't know about it and that's how she got in mm. um, from the way that Glenn wrote we don't know if she knew how much Michael didn't want her there and I how don't think, angry I think was. she
1: must well no you know what Because turnover was, was like so
2: fast right, exactly. it was like she was like She was really excited to go. Mm -hmm. She was like, she didn't, she had no plans to go. She was um, at her house in Mexico. She was like, not going to go. But like Glenn called, the boys called Mm -hmm. and, and she, it changed her mind. She was like, okay, like they do still love me. And I did really put a lot, like years into this piece. And so she, she like got on a plane and was like on her way and then, Michael got real angry at her. I can't remember. It was, I'm
1: looking a, it up right now. It was so a legit hopefully... reason.
2: And then uh, it it tur- the turnaround was so fast. Like she, I don't, it, I don't believe she knew um, what was happening. And also, like people were taking care of it behind the scenes, were to still get her in to see the show. And. Um, I want to say I feel like that speaks to the kind of person she is that like even crew members are like how can we still get Julie totally. to come? like I mean
0: it is Ryan here and I have a question for you what do you do when you win like are you a fist pumper
1: The, uh, da, 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 da. the lads were in California on the 9th of June. They're talking about Bono and the Edge mm-hmm. uh, making up the tour dates when Bono rang Julie and talked with her for an hour yeah. the longest and the most civil chat since the chill days of February. He wanted to see her at the show on opening night. Mm-hmm. It was a sentiment that even Michael Cole was leaning toward. That is until the next day when the stage directors and choreographers society filed an arbitration claim on behalf of Julie Taymor to recover the $200,000 in Royal payments the producers allegedly owed her a figure that included only director royalties not her royalties as co-book writer of course the times and the post dutifully covered the news yeah. michael cole was furious these were not the headlines that he wanted for his show just three days before opening night so that's what it was i knew it was some sort yeah, of yeah i remembered that too but i didn't mm-hmm. remember it that way
2: Yep. So that's what happened. And like I said, two days, I Mm -hmm. thought I was like, I felt like it
1: was like, right, right around. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because well, and I'm sure
2: she was like, on the plane already. Yes, like too late.
1: And the thing is, I mean, I'm sure that Julie at the time that she filed all of those lawsuits was putting all of her due diligence in with all of her different unions and different things like that. At the same time, I am sure that also it was not an accident that that particular labor union decided to go ahead and put in the arbitration right at the same time that opening night was going to happen because they knew that it was going to hit the headlines and put more pressure on the production to just get it taken care of. Hundred percent. So who knows if Julie had anything to do with that particular timing or not. But even if she didn't, that's on them, right? Because of course she's due, right? The money that she's that she's been she promised. Was,
2: she was with that show longer than Michael was. Mm-hmm. Like she she's part of the reason he was with the show.
1: She's she's the reason why it even made it to Broadway in yeah, the first place. Really,
2: and why a lot of the actors signed up because mm-hmm. they were like, "Oh, Julie, okay, we'll yeah. do it." Like, so. It's one of those things where um, I I was thinking about this book a bit today and I was feeling like there were times I did feel Glenn had thrown her under the bus a little bit because I was like, Glenn, you wrote the book, too. Mm -hmm.
1: Like you were in it. Well, and he's, he is very good about saying right right from the beginning, I was in it, I was with her every moment of the, every moment Mm -hmm. that we were together, I was with her and I was totally convinced by her. Mm -hmm. And you're right. He does kind of throw her under the bus for not speaking up against other people Mm -hmm. for not. Well, but I will also say that he, the way that he describes the position that he was put in by Julie at Mm -hmm. some points Mm -hmm. Now, obviously, this is from his point of view. We were not in the room. Exactly. Mm -hmm. But if we are to believe his recollection of uh, some of the events that took place, Julie didn't take no for an answer, good or bad. And so there were times where when he tried to bring up any kind of script changes, she would put the brakes on immediately and say, if you don't believe in this project, then you can leave. I'm not I'm not changing it. I believe in this. I think we can take this all the way. But if you're getting cold feet, and she would kind of turn it around that way. And so there was really no negotiation from his standpoint, from his point of view and from his recollection. But that also doesn't kind of excuse the fact that he basically agreed to have her, you know, to to watch her be fired, but also to kind of stay there. There was who was the guy that kept saying, "As long as you stick with Julie, you'll be fine."
2: Yes, <laughs> let me look that Steve up. Cumber? There,
1: um, who? What was he in the show? Do you remember? Well,
2: he wasn't in the show.
1: No, no. What was he to the show?
2: Uh, well, that's the thing. Is I? He wasn't. He wasn't anything to the show. It was like he knew Julie somehow. Okay.
1: So how did they all know each other? Okay. Let me find it. I just found it.
2: He's one of those peripheral characters who Was Seth
1: What's his last with name the S? Well, s- mm.
2: <laughs> I knew it started with the S. I said Steve, but I don't That's think okay.
1: That's right. So let me It's Seth. Is it's his Seth. first name. Okay. I'm just trying to find his last name now. Seth Gelblum.
2: Okay.
1: He happened to be on the new dramatist board. Right. And now let me go back.
2: I thought he was on the peripheral.
1: He is. I just wasn't sure if he had something to do, even peripherally, with the production. And I don't think he did.
2: No.
1: So Seth leaned close and said, but I'm going to give you some advice. Whatever you do, whatever happens, stick with Julie. And Glenn goes on to write, then and there I decided to follow this advice single-mindedly. For once, excuse me, for once I wasn't going to neurotically parse it or add caveats. I would hew closely to this blessedly easy set of instructions and in doing so, win the grand prize. And then, you know, he obviously doesn't do that. Uh, I think, I don't know, it's so difficult because you're, if you're put in a position like this, of course you want to support your friends. And of course you want to support the person that basically brought you into this Mm -hmm. and mentored you and is really, was a fantastic influence and, and a dear friend through this entire process. But when you're put in that scenario, who's, who knows what you're, what you would do, who knows the decision that you would make. And for him, it wasn't just him. He's not a bachelor. He's got three kids, Mm -hmm. three kids, a wife and a brand new house. Mm -hmm. So when you're put in that situation, would you really be able to leave the production on merit? Right. With nothing to show for it. Right. Because and he, he wouldn't have been and- fired. He wouldn't have been able to sue the company and get back no. the money. He would have just been quitting. Right. So that's a really tough. I'm I don't know. I, I'm honestly not saying one way or the other. I'm just kind of putting it to you with the devil's advocate.
2: But he also, you know, he says multiple times in the book, he said to his wife, you know, he's bringing home a whale. hmm. And I I think, like, the only reason she didn't divorce him through the process of him (laughs) never being home. Yeah,
1: no kidding. um, Because she was was in upstate and he was living in Manhattan at the time.
2: She believed in him.
1: Yes. Absolutely. So, um,
2: it's okay. You know, I think that uh, it it is. I have no idea. That's one of those it's one of those moments when you're like, I have no idea what I would actually do. Mm -mm. You can say what you hope you do, but you don't actually know.
1: No, I would, you're right. I would hope that I would be, uh, I don't know that it's, it's just, it's a really difficult position to be put in as well. Mm -hmm. It really is.
2: So, um, so Philip takes over. Um, and when Philip takes over, um, They're they're looking to do a lot of the changes, including plan X, (laughs) uh, which was the plan where they would have had to shut the show down for two to three weeks. Um, And they do end up going forward with that plan. But the changes look a lot different um, than Glenn's proposed
1: changes. Um, Well, because really in. In the grand scheme, now yes. he's no longer the position that he was in. Right. He's still listed as co-writer, but right. he 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 has been demoted.
2: He really has, and that's when Roberto Aguirre um does really most of the the book changes. Yeah,
1: and um, it's kind of like it feels the way that he was writing. It felt like he wasn't even in the room when all of those rewrites were being made.
2: No, he totally wasn't. Yeah, he says. He says whenever he tried to make a suggestion, like they weren't, Mm. they were like, "No, just let we yeah, just let let the adults talk." (laughs) Well, and they said he said, um, Philip said to him, "I want, um, I want to see Roberto's Act One,"
1: Mm.
2: and so. Eventually, what happened was it was Roberto's Act 1 and Glenn's Act 2, right. I think.
1: I think so, too.
2: And there had been the suggestion to move one huge piece of Act 1 to Act 2, and they did end up doing that. And so a lot of the critics in the beginning were complaining about the ending in Act 2, but what they didn't understand was that they had a huge idea for Act 2, mm-hmm. but in execution, it was implausible. Yeah. And so, um, the end of act two looked cheesy and stupid. Mm -hmm. Um, but then like the (laughs) funny bit was, you know, that Roberto had actually sent in his ideas about Spider-Man to, (laughs) to Julie before she met Glenn and she hated them. Yeah. And then about a year or two later, when things were going actually even later than that, things that period of time when things were going awry was probably a few months before she got let go. She re-looked at Roberto's uh, notes, and she said to Glenn she was so glad she did not hire this person <laughs> because she felt like his ideas were even worse mm-hmm. than she originally had remembered them. And it's funny because, like, in the end, Roberto still got the job. yeah. And the ideas. Yeah. And mm. that's what, you know, was put on Broadway. Right. It's just like. I don't I don't, I can't even call that karma because she's not a bad person. No. It's not like no, she did no something villain. bad. There really is. Isn't. This is just real life. This yeah. is when things just happen. And don't go the way that you expect mm-hmm. them to
1: at all. <laughs> But the thing is, too, and this is something to be admired, I think, mm-hmm. in Julie, mm-hmm. that even though things were going horribly wrong, mm-hmm. she believed so wholeheartedly in her original idea yeah. that she did not want it to change. Right. So, and the thing is, we really don't know in our own lives mm-hmm. whether changing the idea or sticking with the idea is the right decision until it's over so who's to say right you know who's to say that if they didn't just continue on with julie's vision Mm -hmm. and find a way to work it out if that would still be running right now on broadway do you know what i mean it's like we don't know
2: but i feel like there needs to be a level of flexibility i'm really well
1: absolutely you need to be able to adapt that's theater she
2: didn't have that. She, no, she didn't have that. And one of the big problems was like there was that one song about the lady, uh, um, the lady spiders Right. that where the lady dancers felt very
1: um, vulnerable and exposed. Yeah, they
2: they did not enjoy doing it. And when Glenn had talked to uh, the dancers and they they didn't feel good about it, he <laughs> And Julie got really upset with Mm -hmm. him and like walked out of the room, which I believe I mentioned this in in the last episode. But I I just I think back on that and like like today I had a huge um, plot twist in this big project I've been working on and I'm like, Flexibility. You have to have it. Yeah. Especially if you're going to be a creative person. Well, you have to think of. Especially when you're
1: working with other people. people.
2: That is theater. Theater is communal, it's collaboration. You you cannot, you can't make it on your own unless you just want to be in the street on a box.
1: Yes. Or do a one man show. Even then you
2: still need proof. Well, you're right. You're right. <laughs> you still it need proof.
1: Everyone throws their all, yeah. all all of their ideas into the pot in the middle and mm-hmm. then you pick from there. Yeah. It it's never it cannot be a dictatorship. No. No. And if it you know what? And in this case, she created a dictatorship and she was overthrown. Yeah. And it was happened. fine, it was a miserable failure, but They, they had the freedom at that point to make changes that they needed to make change. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And then also to create, (laughs) I know, I just made a face because I, I couldn't believe what just came out of my mouth that way. Anyway, um, the changes that needed to be changed, but also to create a safer environment for the actors that were in the show and for the stage crew, Mm -hmm. that was also an issue, a huge issue. And that I think I do blame Julie for Mm -hmm. not for putting her for actors into a position where they can get hurt, but for allowing her performers Mm -hmm. to stay in a position where they can get hurt. Mm -hmm. Knowing, knowing what she knew that time after time, actors and crew had been injured and still doing nothing to fix the problem. And then in the end, you have that poor young man. oh
2: The most tragic of all the injuries. Was that injuries. Daniel Curry? Yeah.
1: Yeah. The, with the two crushed feet. Just
2: the most and it's tragic. And his career is
1: over. And it's just, its it could have been, well, and that wasn't even her because that, by that point, that was this, the other creative team and they were still just making
2: But they were still making doing mistakes. the same.
1: Well, and you're right. That that's was true. like the
2: same bit of staging from her original and yeah. the same set piece.
1: Oh, it's rough. It's yeah. so rough.
2: But like at that point, you're right. No, nobody had changed it enough to not be still hurting people. Yeah. And I understand like, you know, we said at the top of the first episode that this show is so big. It's bigger than two people. Mm-hmm. It's bigger than the entire team that have been working on it. Like it's so huge, and it's extremely innovative. And they did things that no other Broadway show has done really mm-hmm. since. Quite right. frankly, not right. not before and not since. Right. And, <laughs> and for I think good reason not right, since, <laughs> but right. Okay, but right. For real, because I was like, we've had flying people, but like Disney was like, we. like Mary you could fly a little bit but
1: you know what a little bit they they have (laughs) done Disney has done that in their parks they have done that kind of thing so they know what they're up against and they know how to how to get it done safely
2: right because even Mary I haven't seen Aladdin so I can't tell you what the carpet deal is right but I did see Mary Poppins and like she flies over the audience, but it's no Spider-Man flying. No. Like, this is it's some chill. It's one line, yes. and she goes
1: from one point to umbrella. another point, and that's it. Yeah. But that's all that needs to happen. Right. Even in the Cirque du Soleil shows, they they have a lot of beautiful things happening. Right. But they're all safe, yeah. and they're all contained, and there's nothing that says they need to be more spectacular to make the audience more right. wowed. right. There's just nothing saying that. Right. Right. If you want to do something, and I hate this, but if you want to do something where it is death defying and, uh, and the, and make the audience gasp, do it a CG, do it on the, on the back digital scrim and, and make that. Make it a th- shadow. Exactly. Yeah. You do that, but don't put your people at risk. hmm Especially when we don't make a lot of money in theater to begin with. Right. You put us out of commission, we're done. Right. We're done. That's really true.
2: That's why, that's why Daniel had to sue. It's why Chris had to mm-hmm. sue. Like, they had to. They ha- they, because how they else were, were they going to no eat. other position. Yeah, there's nothing
1: else to be done. If you're out of work, you're on disability. And disability doesn't pay you anything. No, it's awful. Workman's comp doesn't pay you anything. But you're still contracted, so right. you can't even find other work.
2: Right. <laughs> it's just so messed up. It's
1: red- Well, and let's hope they have their 20 weeks for a health insurance. Oh, crap. I didn't even think about it.
2: So I don't even know because you're equity, so uh, you it, know better uh, than
1: I do. I'm well, like, Well, the oh, way no. that it happens is, like, <laughs> if you work 12 equity weeks, you get six months of health insurance. Okay. Well, this might have changed. I think it's now 11 weeks and maybe 19 weeks. Okay. But if So if the time that I was working, it was 12 weeks. Uh, you would get six months of health insurance and if you worked 20 weeks in one year, mm-hmm. this is all in one year, you got a full year of health insurance. Mm-hmm. But until you worked the 20 weeks, you were not covered <laughs> by health insurance. You have to wait or you have to pay exorbitant amounts to pay for it otherwise. And then once you're out of weeks and not in a contract, to go on to COBRA is like, it's It's, it's so expensive. prohibitive. Cobra is so expensive. It's the worst. It is the worst. But when you're on health, the health insurance that they have for us, once you get your 20 weeks is really good. good. But until you get the 20 weeks and if if there's anyway, I've got a lot of issues with the union, but besides that, (laughs) (laughs) you know, it's, there's a lot that went into this that, that has me shaking my head and it's, you know what? And it's, You know, you can say, well, we weren't there, so it's hard for us to make that decision. But no, when it's about people's health and when it's about people's lives lives and their ability to continue on in this business. Or or just feed themselves. Right. That is not something that you can take into your own hands.
2: Because even with, you know, even in um, Daniel Curry's case, like, you had so... His career as a dancer ended, mm-hmm. but like he broke both of his feet. How many jobs can you do without feet?
1: Exactly. So in the time that he's so, healing, yeah. living on disability and workman's comp, right. like, what, what is he supposed do? to do? It's, yeah. just,
2: it's just an extreme, like well, that one you is know so what? messed
1: up. This is what's even more messed up because just hypothetically, mm-hmm. Daniel can't pay for food because he's just living on whatever disability gives you, $90 a week, whatever. Mm -hmm. I don't know what it is. I'm just putting a figure to it because I think it's really low. (laughs) I think it's really ridiculously low. It is. Even though we pay into that, but that's another story. Government. (laughs) There's a lot that we're we're, we're touching on a lot here. (laughs) So now, okay, I can't, well, I can't pay for food with my, just my disability, but I have to live on disability because I've broken both of my feet and I can't actually work in the business that... Mm -hmm. I should be working in Mm -hmm. and then I'm contracted to work in. Mm -hmm. So, okay, well, I can't do anything, but I have to sue. So now he's put in a position, he's got to sue the company. So now the producers are going to put him on a list somewhere for other producers to see and other casting directors to see, well, he sues. He's not someone that we can trust to, to be in a company and not screw us over in the end. Regardless of the fact that it was actually not his fault at all, right, it wasn't, that he right. was put in that position to begin with. Mm-hmm. So now not only is his future really questionable mm-hmm. at this point, whether he can even go back to dancing, mm-hmm. but if he remarkable, if he makes a miracle recovery mm-hmm. and is able to go back to performing and dancing for a living, now he can't get a job because he's the one that sued that company. He's mm-hmm. the one that sued those producers right. that one time. And who's to say he's not going to do it again. Right. It just sucks. It really is awful. So, yeah, I, I think we can put that blame on Julie. Yeah. And on the creatives to begin with. Yeah. And, that didn't, and, th- that and didn't the foresee that, it, but right. that also didn't do anything about it when it was right there in their faces. Right. And
2: even after she was gone, like, it's mm-hmm. everybody's,
1: every yes. piece every of the creative Every person that fault. touched it, that had the ability to make any yeah. changes, and that didn't. They are all at fault.
2: I think I think the only person I maybe wouldn't fault is that poor stage manager. Oh my gosh! That man, like he, he, he was like, as much as Glenn Berger calls himself on Theater Talk like the iceberg watcher. No, (laughs) it was this man. (laughs) Well, because that's that's the stage manager's job, right? It really is, and he, like in the book. Apparently, they say he was actually one of the like most chill, <laughs> most. Um, uh, he was like a veteran of the theater. Like this man, yeah. he's, he's seen it. He's yeah, done it. Everything. He's been there. This show upset him so much. He would walk out of the theater, walk down Times Square, and just scream, <laughs> yeah, and just scream this show. Like he would just. He, it was so frustrating for him. And he would be like, no, we can't do that. Yeah. No,
1: we shouldn't do that. The only power that he has as a stage manager yeah. is to say at the beginning of a show or the beginning of an act, we're cutting this. Yeah. We're, we're cutting whatever this stunt is. We're doing that. And he would use that power yeah. liberally. Yeah. If there was any question at all mm-hmm. that that stunt was going to fail or that there was going to be any issue at all, he would call it out. And that was great. But that was also the biggest thing that the creatives and the producers hated about him. Yeah. Is because, oh, you didn't even let it, you didn't even give it a chance. And he was the only one that was willing to stand up for the actors yeah. and for the safety of them. And I think, I mean, listen. I think what he might be name? the
2: reason no one died.
1: Let me look up his name, too, because he deserves a shout out. He really
2: does. I really would, I really feel like he's probably the only reason mm-hmm. no one died. Because he was like, every... Just when, like, I just imagine this poor man walking outside, and you just imagine Mm -hmm. Times Square.
1: See, Randall White.
2: Yeah.
1: See, Randall White was the stage manager, and I can only imagine. Mm -hmm. I can only imagine the stressful uh, job that he had. I'm
2: I'm shocked he didn't have a heart attack like Tony. Quite frankly, (laughs) because well, he screamed it out. That's why he didn't. (laughs) Tony kept it all in, and Randall was like. (laughs) <laughs> like he just oh my gosh oh goodness This I don't envy him Mm-mm. at all Mm-mm. yeah so um, oh that and then the only other um, oh, there person. was, I'm sorry.
1: And I just, cause oh. I just read this. There yeah. is another, there was another head stage manager yeah. required Kat Purvis okay. to coordinate all of the movements. It was that much in this show that they required two <laughs> head stage managers. There's always like an assistant and another right. assistant, but this one, but C. Randall White and Kat Purvis, those were the two stage managers, but C. Randall White was who we were just speaking of. Yeah,
2: who would go out and scream. <laughs> What were you saying? I'm sorry. Uh, I was the creative team. Another big change was Daniel Mm-hmm.
1: Oh, yeah. They
2: replaced him with 27 year old Chase Brock. But they didn't even tell him. Right. Was no. It? Didn't no. Say, they like, never told him. They never he would be on the him. phone with Glenn. <laughs> and Glenn was like, you're coming back. Right. When are you coming back? And he was like, dude, they haven't called me for anything. And he's like. But you're coming back, right? He was
1: never let no. go, but he was never brought back into no. the... So his job was basically usurped, but he was still getting paid for it, right? Yeah. I think he was still getting paid, and that's the good news. He was yeah. never actually let go, but then he was never brought back in to finish or to do any of the changes. It was someone else.
2: And and, um, it was funny because what Glenn says is that there may or which may or may not have been true. He's not even really sure it was true. But there was talk that like, the a lot of the ensemble like didn't necessarily want want Daniel to come back because it meant <laughs> that like they would have to be redoing a million yeah. times some of the things you you know they already thought they knew or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then it ended up just really being more work because Chase changed everything. Everything. And he was 27 years old and he had started a theater company called the Chase Brock Experience. (laughs) It's not at all pretentious. Not at all. (laughs) Uh, And so, um, you know, according to Glenn's book, uh, the dancers didn't really love all the changes. Um, There were some songs that oh, 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 I wish I could. It's coming back to me. There was one song in particular mm-hmm. that ooh, they were doing the itsy bitsy spider. Do you remember? I don't think I do. Let oh, me look. I died. The way um, Glenn tells it is so good because it was the stage manager you just mentioned. <laughs> yeah. The, the the woman.
1: Cat Purvis. Cat.
2: So it's Cat. And and they had like this meeting and then it was just Cat and Glenn together. And Cat and Glenn were like they were good buddies and they would like joke and rib each other and stuff. <laughs> so at one point they're hanging out and um Glenn hasn't like been there in a little while and she's and Oh, she, here it is. Okay, <laughs> yeah, I please read. Okay, okay.
1: It's so funny. Oh goodness. Okay, so let me go back a little bit. Okay. Um Practically every scene in the show was going to experience Chase Brock. (laughs) The last nine months' worth of dance rehearsals went up in smoke. Moves explored and rejected back in August were discovered and considered and rejected all over again, as if for the first time. By the last day in March, Aaron Elliott, one of the dance captains, was meeting me for drinks, describing the scene in the dance studio in urgent, bewildered tones. Aaron says, He's even adding movement for the weavers when they're kneeling. Glenn says, "What do you mean? If they're kneeling, what kind of movement could they be adding?" Erin put the index finger of her right hand against the thumb of her left hand. Above that, she pressed the thumb of her right hand against the index finger of her <laughs> left hand. She's not dot dot dot. Erin pivoted one thumb or one finger thumb set while putting the lower finger thumb set above the formerly higher finger thumb set, and so on, up and up. The weavers are doing the eensy weensy spider. <laughs> Yes. While Arachne is transforming into a spider, a yes. No. No way. I don't believe you, Glenn. Yes. The dancers were stupefied. <laughs> That's one of. <laughs> I do remember I love laughing.
2: It, so much, Hilarious. Right? Yes. it was so, so funny. funny. I was like, I as I was reading that, I said out loud, "No, no, mm-hmm. no!" I couldn't believe. I couldn't believe. <laughs> I. We, we, we should also say, I don't think either of us saw the show, right? No. Okay. We just have friends who've seen it. We did not. We did, we did not experience Chase Brock. Well,
1: listen, I was, I was working.
2: Right. Right. You were actually in a show. <laughs> I was that earning
1: my was 20 successful. weeks. Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Um, yeah. We, neither of us saw it, but um,
1: that's Okay. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. If at some point a bootleg falls into my lap, I may yeah. stick it into the PlayStation. Yeah,
2: because it's just so... It's like... Myth- it's actually like Greek mythology. Like, it's yeah. so...
1: It's now a history. Yeah. It's a, it is a lesson that we are learning in history. It <laughs> really It's, it's epic.
2: <laughs> so big.
1: <laughs> um.
2: Well, that's pretty much it, guys, yeah. for... This Spidey Mammoth
1: Spidey, turn on that light. Yeah, please. Please, don't turn your back on me. Listen, Spidey, Spidey, come on now, Spidey. I don't want to say this another time. I'm asking <laughs> you once to please turn on the light. And if you choose not to, you are making that decision. What decision are you making? <laughs> it's it's the title is a work in progress.
2: Yeah, <laughs> we're figuring it out. <laughs> you'll see it on iTunes as soon as you, you know, we as might soon as you listen it again to us. Again. We we'll might but yeah, uh, but part 2. Part 2. <laughs> Spidey turn on the light part 2.
1: All right guys, well thank you so much for <laughs> Thanks listening. Thanks for listening. Thanks for hanging in there with us yeah. on this very long extremely long truncated, not even truncated. What is that? What am I? Bifurcated. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It really. Is. Episode of Theater Geeks Anonymous. <laughs> Colon, Spidey, dot dot dot. Turn, Turn on, that on that light, light please. <laughs> I think we should add a please too. Okay. It. It makes it a little nicer. That's good. Exclamation point.
2: Okay. Turn on that light, please. I like it. <laughs> All right. Bye, guys. Bye.
1: See you next week. Well, you'll hear me. You'll hear me next week. <laughs> nothing. Nothing more personal than that. <laughs>